0: hey brothers and sisters it is grandpa jim coming to you today from the world headquarters in my pickup truck welcome to motivation central station i'm on my way to do some gutter work today Um, But I also work in social work, and I work in the most disadvantaged zip code in the United States of America. I work in 53206 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 60 Minutes was just here, oh, within the last six months and did a story on our crazy poverty stricken uh, zip code. And so I have, insight being a person of white privilege my whole life um, and how that uh, definitely affects uh, communities of color and poverty. Uh, So let me start in the 1960s, the late 1960s race riots of the United States of America. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, we had the National Guard here for three nights and you could not go out of your home because of the riots in our city at that time. And our city's still really segregated. And so it, it, I don't want to say a lot has changed in 40 years because it marginally has so. Um, it has marginally so by changing some systems. And then there's some systems that are just so flawed and not outdated that they really suppress... Uh, a lot of people, especially the community that I work in. So when I was eight years old, during these race riots, my racist uncles would come over and spew their hatred towards a group of people that they did not even know. They, they didn't have any people of color in their life. And they, I, at eight years old, I would think, what did these people ever do to you? And I remember at times, too, at about that same age, sitting back and just staring at the color of my skin and asking myself, why am I white? Like, you know, why was I not born another race? Or, you know, this was really a question that I had. And and I knew at eight years old, during those race riots, that... I had white privilege. I, I knew what that was instinct, instinctually. I hope I said that right. And so I'm challenging all my white privileged people this. And this happened to me too. This happened to me. I had a police officer t- lay on my head, put my winter coat over my head when I was at an underage, teenage-age drinking party Uh, at a bowling alley here in our local town, uh, the owner of the establishment realized that he rented the... uh, Our drinking age at that time was 18, and he realized that he rented out this hall legally to a person that was 18. However, that person that was 18, all his friends were under 18, and I happened to be one of those people. And so I was... uh, trying to leave that party and because the weekend before we were at a house party and we all got arrested we all had to go into paddy wagons we all had to go to the courthouse and in those days I was in the party in and getting rid of feelings and I decided I was not going to waste my Friday night at 7 8 p.m in you know the local jail here in town and so I started to make a mad dash for this door and this detective caught my arm sleeve and then he pulled me back in to where everybody else was and I was hanging real tight and then all of a sudden I noticed that this police officer, this detective was getting involved with some other people and I thought, (coughs) excuse me, I thought... I can make a run to that door. I'm going to make it. I'm going to go through that door. And I was wrestling 80 pounds that year. So I made a mad dash for that door as hard as I could. And I just got outside the door about a foot and a half. And because I had my winter coat on, a this detective was able to get my sleeve of my coat and, uh, he was able to drag me back in to the uh, bowling alley in the recreation hall they had there. And I started to fight him because I thought if I can get out this door, I'm going to be gone, you know. And so me and him are wrestling around. And I think that's why I work in a gutter cleaning business today. Because I have an unusual ability to be, no a sense of balance. Like I... Must have been a cat in another life or something. And so they he could not get me down. Then Officer 2, 3 came. Number 4 and 5 came. And they could not get me on the ground. Finally, they got me, like, spread eagle in the air about waist high. And then they they threw me down in a group. Quickly threw some handcuffs on me. And the handcuffs didn't go, like my arms weren't straight behind my back. Imagine you trying to flex both muscles like a muscle man. You're gonna show uh, your biceps to somebody. They actually had one hand down and the other was in that bicep position behind my back. And they started pulling up my jacket over my, uh, my head and they knelt on my face and I could not breathe. And so I was in this person's position, uh, George Floyd's position. By God's grace, I know it was one of the closest experiences I had to coming to death. I did have some car wrecks when I was a young person and abusing uh, alcohol and uh, smoking marijuana. And Um, you know, I know I came close to death in that situation, but in those other situations, I wasn't as conscious of it as I was today. So I really want you, 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 not your friend, not George Floyd. I want you to imagine yourself, and this is the other kind of ironic thing, about three years ago, I worked on a very glitzy street in the city of Milwaukee. They're older mansions on a place called Highland Boulevard. And I did work for one of the homeowners there and the guy paid me in cash. He gave me, I don't know, 10, 12, $50 bills. And one of the guys that worked with me asked if he could uh, borrow some cash that day and, uh, until payroll rolled around. And I was like, sure, here some, here's like three $50 bills. And, and so he went to a national hardware chain in our local community that weekend, and one of the people took the little marker to the bill, and it was bad. So they wrote him a citation that day. Uh, detective eventually came to my home to talk to me about the bill. I sent him to the glitzy homeowner's house to, um, you know, uh, cause that's where I got it from and the glitzy homeowner claimed he got it from the local bank. And so these things happen, people, you know, and, um, So imagine I gave you one of those bills that day. You worked for me on the Glitzy Mansion, and I had you do some paintwork, because I know you do beautiful paintwork. Just a little joke there in a very serious matter. But so you did your work for me, and I paid you, and the job, you know, we got paid on the job. And then you you were the person that unwittingly passed that bill. And now... You find yourself walking out of that hardware store and you're meted by a bad cop and the bad cop throws you on the ground and now he's going to do a lethal move and he's going to kneel on your neck. And about five minutes in, you're screaming for your life. Now you, not somebody else, you. You're screaming for your life. And a big... Big portion of this is the color of that man's skin. I, in 1976, I saw an African American gentleman beat with billy clubs for absolutely no reason. If you don't know what a billy club is, it's a club made out of wood with it's about 12 inches uh, in length, and it has a piece of lead in it. So when you hit somebody. You can really do serious damage. And there were multiple people hitting this guy. And from that day on, uh, this has kind of been um, a cause for me. Um, So now I want to talk about 53206 and the kids that I worked with in the treatment center. And I still work there today today. Um, I work in that environment today um, as a peer support. So um, I'm not there as often, but I, I'm there weekly. I'm not working eight hours a day there. But uh, when I did work eight hours a day, the African-American kids that got arrested for using drugs or they got arrested for... Uh, some type of crime, or maybe they uh, uh, violated their parole, Uh, whatever it was. uh, And a lot of that crime comes from the communities because they lack so much opportunity or any ounce of hope. Um, So uh, those kids would get locked up uh, for minor offenses, like a little bit of marijuana. And then um, the suburban treatment centers for the Caucasian kids that were on heroin were so overstuffed, it was busting at the seams with them. So we were getting a lot of those kids that were doing very hardcore drugs and just getting basically citations. And uh, so there was definitely a double standard going on there. And you know it, this happens all the time. This isn't news to any of you. And so uh, the African-American kids, then they would get probation officers. And so most jobs are offered nine to five, the majority of jobs, factory work and, and that sort of thing. And their appointments, they have to pay for the parole officer. I'm not sure if you knew that, but they for every month they have a fee that they have to pay the government for having their parole officer. And guess when their meetings are? During nine to five, you know, like here's a systematic change we could make is just making these meetings at uh, a second shift for these people to get their lives back on track. You know, now most of the state's marijuana is legal in. Um, It's not here, Uh, we're an island here, I think. Uh, you know, if that's what you want to do, um, God bless you. You know, that's not my concern. Uh, um, so, uh, the other thing I want to talk about is the system and, and those little systematic tweaks of just, um, changing the time of, of, uh, um, changing the times people can come and get services and also of of building these communities from the inside out. We need to bring in money, people with knowledge and power that have started, and I'm not talking corporate America. No, I want these businesses to be for the people, by the people, not only by American, I want people to buy locally, I want, Uh, the people in the poverty community to be able to be the ones servicing the homes. I don't want blood-sucking corporations to come in. Um, Most of these places are food deserts. They don't have food. And uh, we can start with some decent grocery stores that are affordable, that have healthy choices. You know, we need real systematic change. Justice for all, not for a few Not for some. Your Constitution is justice for all. So that's kind of what I have for you today. Um, You know, those of you that have been with me, I hope you're working on your goals. Whatever your dream goals are, um, you know, little steps. Don't be defeated. Um, If you haven't checked your progress in two weeks, now's the time to check your progress. See how you're advancing on you know, working towards that new business or that new uh, exercise program. Now is a good time to evaluate things. So I hope I didn't come off venting too much. But you know, if you're a white person and you're not you're not speaking up, you are complicit in the problem. Like everybody deserves a fair shake. There's enough to go around. You know, we don't all need three hundred, four hundred dollars $500,000 homes. We can live just fine in in, in very standardized living. And, uh, you know, it's more enjoyable. I work on these shacks. I work on the big homes. Uh, you know, you're not even there half the time. And half the time, um, there's other people giving you services. Like, you can't even take care of it yourself. So... Uh, that's all I have today. So I do love each and every one of you. Let's go help another person today. Um, and uh, God bless you all. And I will call some other positive people today, um, part of my social circle that keep me on track. Surround yourself with the great positive people. You become what your environment is. And uh, God bless you all. Thank you.